With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here are your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. Welcome to Tennis.com podcast Inside the Tour. I'm Nina Pantic. And I'm Irina Falcone. In this episode, we recorded in Lake Nona, Florida, right by the home of the USTA National Campus, a really impressive place to say the least. I met with Kent Kinnear. He is the new head of men's tennis. He used to be the director of player ID and development. He's been working with the USTA since 2007. So kind of a veteran in the coaching leagues out here. Um, he actually spent 11 years on the ATP tour, got as high as number 24 in doubles and number 163 in singles, also played at Clemson, and enjoyed a, a short coaching stint at the University of Illinois, where he was coaching Kevin Anderson. So let's hear from Kent. And I just want to welcome you and thank you for your time. Thank you. It's great um, to be with you. I just want to talk about how you got to the USTA and then how you found yourself working. You're the head of men's tennis here. Right. Right, yeah, it's new. Uh, um, but I started with the USTA probably about 10 years ago um, as a national coach on the men's side, working mostly with the younger boys, and did that for three years or four years, and then uh, uh, then became director of player ID and development, which is 14 and under, boys and girls. So I've been in that position for about the last six years uh, until a couple of weeks ago when I got this position. So, But before the USTA, I worked for the University of Illinois, was an assistant coach under Brad Dancer for, uh, for two years. Had a couple great years there. And then in the summertime, uh, Rodney Harmon, who was uh, in charge of men's coaching for the USTA, wondered if I would be interested in being the summer coach for a collegiate team that was going around to some tournaments. And so I did that. Had a great time. John Isner was on that team and, and five other guys. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. And at the end of that, Rodney was like, you know, would you be maybe interested in coming on board if, the, if a, an opening came, you know, came about? And so... A little less than a year later, it did. And so I've been with the USTA ever since. So what does the head of men's tennis, what, is, what does that entail job-wise and day-to-day-wise? I mean, I know it's new, but just... I'm, I'm just finding out. No, basically, it's the whole pathway on the men's side, all the way from the young junior boys through the teenage years, through collegiate, through pro tennis, transitional pro. The head of men's tennis basically is uh, you know co- working with all the national coaches on the men's side. Who are working with players along that whole pathway, and um, you know, really just trying to not have any holes in the in the pathway, and try to have a great group of young players coming up and great pros out there playing. And you know, the ultimate charge of player development is to help get players into the top 100 uh, ATP and hopefully a Grand Slam champion. So everything's kind of geared towards that that charge all the way down the down the pathway. So I'll kind of be helping. Uh, oversee that. Is a lot of it organizing coaches and players and travel and tournaments or is it like your hands-on coaching with certain players or is it both? Is it a mix? Yeah I'd say it's mostly right now uh, going to be 
working with our coaches and figuring out um, their relationships with players that we're working a little bit more with or, or maybe supplementary with. Um, our, our national coaches that in the younger years are responsible for big groups of players and having camps and really trying to keep the base wide. Um, and then as, as the players get a little bit older, you know, it gets tougher and tougher, and, and so the numbers get a little bit smaller. And the coaches that are assigned to those birth years have, you know, working with a little bit smaller groups and all the way up to the pro tennis where a coach, if they're assigned, you know, they're not going to get assigned uh, many players. It might be two players that they're really working with. So it's really managing that whole system and where can we help out as the National Federation? Where can we help out uh, the most that we can? And with, and with our pros, some of them may need mental skills or they may need nutrition information or strength and conditioning. Whatever. So we just want to help be a resource in whatever whatever area they need some help with. Are there any certain players you're most excited about right now, even if they're younger or, or current pros outside of top 100 or any names that you're, you're pumped about? Well, I would say one thing that's been really fun about this position is we've had the camp structure with these young kids in place for about eight or nine or ten years. So to see the Francis Tiafos and the Riley Opelkas and the Tommy Pauls and, you know, all the, that, that group of, we go by birth years, those are mostly 97s. Um, couple 98s, a couple 96s that are doing real well now. To see them breaking in like they are into the top 100 and and so on is pretty exciting, you know. And and I've worked through the camp structure. Any any player that's basically born um, 1990, I would say 94 and younger, kind of I've, I've gotten to know over the years through the camps. The ones that are a little bit older than that, I need to build the relationships with some of our top pros. You know, like the Sam Query is a little bit older than that range. You know, I spent the summer with John Isner, so I know him a little bit. But just building relationships with them is going to be really important and try to help out any way I can. And we're at, we're in Lake Nona at the USTA National Training Center. What has been the transition to, because you must have moved here right when it opened, yep. right, around then. So yep. what has been your experience seeing this place kind of come to life? I mean, it's really impressive. It's been great. It's been really great. You know, I was involved a little bit on the planning side, not a lot, but just to kind of see it go from the blueprints to, you know, getting feedback on what, what's missing, what do we need to add, you know, we've got this budget, how can we, you know, we need to cut back in this area or whatever. But to see uh, this come to fruition in a relatively short amount of time, really, um, is pretty amazing. And, and what's fun, too, is to be working here and people coming to visit, everyone's just like, wow, this is such a great atmosphere, a great environment. And it's a, it's a lot of fun to work here. So, yeah, I couldn't be happier with, uh, you know, with with this facility. And, you know, obviously it was tough to move from Boca and Del Rey. Uh, a lot of people had to move in the families, which isn't easy. But, but uh, to be working in a place like this is a real treat. You mentioned John Isner, but I know you worked at Illinois. Yeah. And I know. I feel, I feel like college is similar in the sense that there's always these grand facilities, right, mm-hmm. everything. But mm-hmm. you worked, um, you were in the same year as when you get the finals with Kevin Anderson. Right, right. So how cool is that? I, I feel like that's a big part of his career is that he was so good in college and he's yeah. going to double and everyone forgets about that. Yep. Yeah, no, that was really fun. It's, and, you know, when they played, when they were playing the semifinals in Wimbledon uh, this year, I actually called Brad Dancer and I thanked him for giving me the opportunity to be an assistant coach back in like 06, 07. But because I reminisced about being in Tulsa during the All-Americans, quarterfinal match, John Isner against Kevin Anderson. Nobody was around, you know, and here's these two guys. And at this point in college, it was kind of going through that ebb and flow of, you know, there weren't a lot of players coming out of college and making a big 
a big run in the pros, and I couldn't really quite understand it, you know. And so I'm looking at these two guys, and I'm like, there's no reason why these guys couldn't be great pros, you know. It's so exciting to watch them. And uh, and then to see, you know, X amount of years later, them have that just epic battle at Wimbledon was just uh, really special, a really special thing for college tennis, really, because those are two great products of uh, great college programs where they got better and had a great team experience and uh, have gone on to just represent – everybody in the sport so well very exciting the college tennis thing is definitely ebb and flowed i feel like when i was in school i went to ucla uh-huh. i started in 2008 and arena okay. i think same year but then she turned pro out of school but i feel like things change a lot in that maybe five ten year gap where all of a sudden college players are doing really well yeah. like you played at clemson yeah and then you turned pro after i did yeah yeah i needed four years my roommate my sophomore year was jay Berger. he just played two years and went on to be like six in the world so you know even back then you had I mean, there were a lot of American players who went on and had very good careers in the pro levels, for sure. You know, and, and, and I just feel like the way the game's gone, where the average age of the ATP or WTA player is getting older, like they're, they're playing longer, right? So, and it's more physical than ever. I mean, it's unbelievably physical. So there's no reason why college shouldn't be a great stepping stone for the players coming up, you know, because, uh, you know, these colleges have unbelievable facilities, great coaches, great uh, strength and conditioning, you know, and, and 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 they're just great years to mature a little bit, get stronger, and uh, really help their development. So I think I think college tennis is, you know, going to be uh, a, a big part of the future pros coming out. But you're right; it is funny how it, it ebbs and flows. And I think right now we're we're definitely going to be in a in an upswing. There's a few players now. I think of like Danielle Collins. I mean, she's right. top fifty, top forty right now, and yeah. like full four years. I mean, it's doable. Yep. Yeah, that's right. There's some great examples. So you were ranked as high as number 24 in doubles and you were top 200 in singles. I think it's pretty cool when people are, I mean, you're so ingrained in American tennis and I feel like I looked up some of your highlights. Okay. And you played Pete Sampras when he was young yeah. and Andre Agassi when he was young yeah. in Indy, which would have you been did do your home. research. Yeah, yeah I, got, I got creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, it just kind of seems to show that you've been a big part of American tennis kind of for years and you would have played these American stars. And Do you yeah. look back on, what? like, what's your... I mean, be like best memories or fondest memories. Well, I mean, they were, I played eleven years. There were a lot of great memories, and I, I went to a lot of. I mean, I loved the travel. I loved the camaraderie. Um, you know, I always look back at. There was one. I was kind of trying to break through in singles and doubles. A um, couple years out of college, and had a chance to go to Asia and to try to get into some tournaments. And but it was going to be tough. Uh, and it looked like the only way I was going to get in was in doubles. And I remember hanging out looking for Brad Pierce, who was another great American player. He was the one player I could get into the the Japan Open in with in doubles. And I was hanging out at the hotel waiting just to see, because back then, you know, we didn't have the cell phones and everything. But anyways, I approached him. He agreed to play with me, and we went and had an unbelievable week. Second round, we beat Edberg and, and Cash, who were who had both won the, the, the Wimbledon and the Wimbledon before. So for me to be on the court with those guys and to be able to know that I could return their serves or I could... You know, kind of some of the mystique, I, I felt like I belonged more. So I always look at that match and that week as a breakthrough week for me just from a mindset standpoint, you know, that if I worked hard and I could I could hang at this level. So I always look back at that as a big kind of a breakthrough and a highlight that week in Tokyo. Plus it helped out financially to let me play more. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I played in probably, I think I, I counted it up once, close to 50, tur- uh, 50 countries. So I just love the... I love that, you know, experiencing the different cultures and and their relationships and, uh, you know, got to play 
I didn't play them a lot, but did get to play, you know, Pete and Andre and uh, Boris Becker and Edberg and some of these guys that I really had a great um, admiration for, you know, growing up. And uh, this, it was, I look back very fondly at those years. A lot of fun. I feel like it adds a level of, I don't know, I guess credibility or more like if you're kind of child, child player or something, they know like, hey, you've been there for a decade and you made it and you were, I mean, you played all these great tournaments and won the tournaments and stuff. Is it a big, a huge help? I mean, I think it does help, yeah. Um, I mean, it'll be fun. It's been a few years since I've been back to the Grand Slams. It'll be fun to get back to those, those venues. Um, you know, I think I've been fortunate to have a really – you know, tennis has been unbelievable to me, and I've, I've had the opportunity to experience it at a lot of different levels and places, you know, whether it's junior tennis or collegiate. I had an unbelievable experience at Clemson for four years, and then 11 years in the tour, which was phenomenal. And then, you know, I was away for a, a year or two and then was doing some grassroots tennis, you know, and then I had an experience coaching two years at Illinois when we had a very good team. So, and then with, with the USTA, working with the really young ones. And so I feel very fortunate that. I have been able to experience tennis from a lot of different angles, and I, you know, I think I think it is uh, helpful to have that knowledge in this position for sure. When you're talking about a whole uh, pathway and a, a wide range of players uh, that make up U.S. tennis, you know, so I, you know, I'm very excited, very excited. I mean, college is kind of um, I feel like sometimes overlooked a little bit, but I think at the USTA now, especially here, they're kind of embracing it. Absolutely, going to be there's college matches that are on TV. Right. They're playing ties here. They have a facility like kind of specially made for college. Right. I mean, that's I think that's huge. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, some of those matches we've had here the last uh, couple of years have been phenomenal, and to get the exposure, Stephen Armitage when he was in that position did a great job, just thinking outside the box and really bring in some new ideas. Um, and uh, and you know now Matt Clore is going to be in that position uh, as a coach, helping out with uh, the collegiate space um, from our staff. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of exciting things going on and, and a lot of great people involved, I think. And so very, very excited about the future of college tennis. You mentioned travel. So are you going to be going then on the road? Is it just part-time? Is it just slams? Is it just with certain players? Like how does your, I guess, next year would look? Right, right. So I'll definitely be going uh, to all the slams for a couple of weeks at least. Hopefully longer if we're doing great. You know, I'll stay. And, and uh, so hopefully it'll be three weeks I'll be there. Um so that'll be a little bit of a change these last few years because I haven't traveled that much internationally. Um, and I think some of the major tournaments here in the States I'll go to. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know for sure what my schedule will be like, but I know that it'll be made made up of uh, those tournaments for sure. Is there going to be a big tournament this year, the Winter National? Are they hosting it here? Is that the first time? Or Winter Nationals, a certain age group so will be here, yeah. Uh, some of the older age groups, so it's right right after Christmas, yeah. I feel like you used to be in Arizona and yep. miserable. I remember yep. playing that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I never played that one, but yeah, I did hear it could get pretty cold. Yeah. You think of Arizona as being hot, and but at that time of year, it was it could be pretty chilly. So It was miserable, and like 8 a.m. matches. And yeah. Free, oh, it was so bad. <laughs> yeah, that's a good move. I mean, I feel like just having 100 courts, yeah. there's so much you can do here. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned you have kids. You have three kids, yep. young, pretty young, yep. under... 16? 14. 14. 14, 11, and 6. And do they play? Do they care about tennis? Are they well, you know what's interesting? I uh, I played basketball all the way until I went to college, until I went to Clemson. Some of my favorite sports memories were high school basketball in Indiana, where I grew up. So uh, my oldest daughter has the basketball bug. She's totally into basketball right now, which is really fun. I try to work with her some on that and had a chance to help coach one of her teams um, actually the last few years. So 
So she's really into basketball. My, my middle one, ATN, is uh, not into sports that much. Kind of a very dreamy, very good artistic type young young man so i thought soccer might be a sport but it was you know it really wasn't so he loves basketball but he doesn't play a lot of it um and then my youngest one i think might be a tennis player he really loves tennis he's hitting he's six uh, i love hitting balls with him and and he also likes basketball so it's you know it's been interesting and i haven't pushed real hard i want them to do what they want to do and um but yeah, it's an interesting little journey as you try to make the best decisions possible for your kids and what's the best fit and so on so um, but they, they enjoy, you know, they enjoy, um, a lot of different activities and sports and doing great. At least your youngest will have the facilities here and the net generation yeah. program and all this, all this stuff that the initiatives here for like young kids under 10. And that's it's true. Pretty big. Yeah, that's very, very true. And Rita Gladstone's here does an unbelievable job with that, with that space. So, uh, they haven't quite moved here full time yet. So once they get here though, I'm looking forward to getting them plugged into the programs. And when you go to... These tournaments, are you like how hands on are you with the with, with players? Are you going to be on court? Or are you going to be just helping facilitate mm-hmm. stuff? Just kind of day to day, like I life? think it'll probably depend a little bit, especially especially initially. Um, I, I doubt I'm on court a lot trying to actually coach, unless it's some of the players I'm more familiar with and they want it, or their or their coaching situation wants it. Um, I think in general, right now, I'm going to be a little bit more in the mode of building. The relationships and seeing where they want some help and uh, um, trying to coordinate that and just be as big a resource as possible. You know, I think um, you know Ola Monquist, who's now head of coaching. He was uh, head of women's tennis, and he was doing a lot of you know coaching with Madison and so on. So I think the position is open to some of that, but I think it has to be obviously the right situation and, and, and there has to be a real need and it's what the player and, and the player's team, you know, wants. So we'll play that by ear a little bit. And the heads of, the head of women's tennis, Kathy Rinaldi, yeah. I know really well. I mean, okay. I know really well. Yeah. Um, is there a working relationship? Do you guys work together? Do you guys talk about, hey, like, we're new to this? Yeah. Or, you know, a camaraderie? Yes. Yeah, that's a great question because... Kathy and I actually probably six years ago traveled to Europe together for three weeks, and uh, we had a great time. So, um, I mean, she is a lot of fun and does an absolutely great job. So we, uh, about two weeks ago, had our annual coaches meetings here, and it was right after they announced all of the changes. And so a big part of our dialogue during that week is that we need to make each other better. All the coaches here need to make each other better, and as a team, we need to get better. And that includes men's and women's coaches doing things together and swapping ideas and you know because there's been everyone's so busy and it's pretty easy to kind of get in your your silos uh even even within the men's team you know if you're in the junior if you're in the junior space you're not doing that much in the pro space and so on so we want to break down some of those barriers and and really have some exchanges and things so we've got some ideas that we've been working on and we don't want to overwhelm anyone right out of the blocks but we've got a list of things that we want to we want to step by step start putting into make up more of our culture here that includes a lot of synergy between the men's and the women's side so um, we're looking forward to that and absolutely Kathy's done a phenomenal job as you know as Fed Cup coach and so much fun to work with and a lot of a lot of passion and spunk and she keeps us all on our toes (laughs) as you can imagine I'm sure I can imagine yeah cool Thank you. This has been perfect. I really appreciate your okay. time. I think this is this is this is awesome. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for coming to the campus. Yeah, and thanks. For for, thanks me. for coming on the podcast. All right. So we just heard from Kent Kinnear, and I think one of the most interesting things about that interview is the fact that he's trans he's transplanting his life 
to Lake Nona in Orlando because the USTA decided to open this massive facility here and everyone kind of had to migrate. Irina moved here as well as actually a new resident of Lake Nona, um, a new homeowner. So what's it like to just be like, all right, now I'm going to move to Lake Nona? So a few years ago before I moved here, I was in Jupiter, Florida, living with my parents actually. Um, and I was heading to Boca Raton every single day to train. And it was a heck of a drive. And I found out that everybody was moving over to Orlando or Lake Nona rather. And if someone would have told me that I was moving to Orlando and renting a, a place there and you know making my residence there, I, pro I probably would have laughed in their face. But to be honest, it's been one of the smoothest transitions I think I've ever had. At the time, Lake Nona was actually pretty dead. Um, I know four years ago, I mean, people still talk to me to this day. They're like, oh my God, it used to be just a one lane road. Like there was nothing around. And uh, there's so many things that are coming up. There's a huge town center that is being built. It's a 4 million square foot, pretty much masterpiece that they're creating here. And uh, it's just such a good vibe. I think it's been a great thing. The fact that they were able to have this land gifted to them and they built a hundred courts. It's just great because it really is, I think, making it more community-based and it's just more people are playing tennis. And that's really what the USCA wants, right? It's weird to think that there was nothing here a few years ago. And when you think of Orlando, it's like Disney World, Universal Studios, Harry Potter. I just don't think tennis, but because the USTA moved here and just kind of out of nothing created 100 courts, this impeccable facility for pros, for college players, for juniors, for people starting out. I mean, it's just turned into this, it'll be a mecca. I mean, it's already kind of a mecca. And the fact that pros like all bought in and were like, hey, we're going to move and buy houses in this like little suburb area called Lake Nona, it's just wild to imagine. But they, they pictured it and they made it happen. And it's, it's successful already because people are all here and they're all working together, which is kind of the point, right? You want Americans training with Americans and pushing each other to create the next big Grand Slam champions. I mean, it kind of makes sense. So USCA is actually extremely open to inviting other players. I know last year during the Miami tournament, in between the Miami and Charleston tournament, there were a few girls that actually came to train here. They weren't American, but uh, because they knew someone that was training there, I think uh, Marina Rakovic and Mandy Manella, Bethany Maddock, obviously she trains in Phoenix, but there was a little window between Miami and Charleston. So they were all like, hey, let's go train at USCA. And uh, they, they loved it. I think it's a great place, whether or not you're American or not, especially for the pros. I mean, there's Australian girls that were here earlier this year, right before the Europe swing. And um, Lizette Cabrera, actually, she stayed with me and she loves it here too. It's just such a great spot. You really don't need anything else. As a tennis player, I know, I'm not saying that's super regimented and all you're doing is playing tennis 24-7, but there is a lot to do. They just opened up a drive shack, uh, which is on the same variety as Top Golf, and the mall is not far away. You know, you have every single store that you can possibly imagine. So they really made it into a perfect little living town, and the fact that the airport is so close, that is just so huge. I mean, there's nothing worse than getting off a plane and having to drive an hour plus to get somewhere. And it's literally 10 minutes away, so that's such a huge advantage. Another thing that Kent talks about, or at least I talked about to him, was about how he used to be professionally ranked. He was top 200 in singles, top 30 in doubles. And people kind of, I feel like it's hard to figure out 
all these people that work for the USTA, there's so many people that work for the USTA from the ground up, and you hear the big names, the famous names and stuff, the coaches, but then you kind of forget what their stories are. In his case, though, he was a legitimate player, and I asked him whether or not that mean, that made him more credible as a coach because he went into coaching right away. Well, soon after he finished his career, and then eventually he's moved on to these bigger and bigger roles. He's now the director of men's tennis for the USTA. Kind of a huge thing because it's like literally overseeing every male player in American tennis. Uh, but with him, though, I was like, so does you being a pass pro and like a really good one help you? I mean, what's your take when you meet a coach and they're like, hey, by the way, like I was top 40. I played all the grand slams like multiple times. I kind of think that adds a little bit of respect, right? Absolutely. I think one of the easiest transitions that players do seek out after they're done playing is to go into coaching, whether it's, you know, you're teaching five-year-olds or whether you're teaching adults, it's still coaching of some variety. So just because you have been a great player does not translate into, hey, I'm going to be a great coach. It's completely different. All of a sudden, you're seeing the game in a completely different way. I know I had a coach once tell me, he's like, I've never lost a match from the stands. So just because you know how to play tennis does not mean it's going to translate as a great coach and vice versa. Uh, But I'm super excited to see what Kent's going to do. I know that he's been super ambitious. uh, He's actually listened to our podcast, so that's pretty awesome. Um, And uh, super excited to see what he's got in store for the men. It's such a common transition also to go from playing to coaching. I feel like a lot of players try it. Maybe they don't love it right away, but a lot of them dive into it. It just seems like a natural move. I agree. I know that some of the people that I've talked to recently have asked me whether or not, you know, I'd coach them or when I was 16 years old, I was asked by two parents to coach their eight-year-old at the time. And when you're 16, I mean, you're coaching an eight-year-old, you really don't know what the heck you're doing on the court. I went out there a few times, you know, hit with her. She won her first title with me at like nine years old. I was pretty excited. I was like, holy cow, like, you know, she's actually getting better. It was really exciting for me. And then she uh, ended up getting a scholarship for tennis and she's been doing great things. And it was pretty cool to see that even though I was 16, they trusted me enough with their daughter. Just because you are a player does not necessarily mean you'll be a great coach, but you do have some insight that just regular coaches that have never played will not have. Right, I agree. I agree, it's cool that you've uh, dabbled in it already. Okay, so that's it for this episode. We talked a little bit about the USTA. We met Kent Kinnear. We learned a little bit more about how the organization works. We learned a little bit more about Lake Nona and all the move here. So I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. This has been Inside the Tour. I've been Nina Pantic. And I've been Irina Falcone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.